Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 34. Rob Robinson from Last Chance You. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to The Big Chill Podcast. I am, as usual, joined by Frank and Sam. And this week's special guest is Rob Robinson, assistant coach at East LA Community College and one of the stars of Netflix's Last Chance U basketball series. So Rob, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, hey, I'm excited to be here today. Uh, any opportunity to talk basketball and stop what I was like, like my real job just for an hour and a half to talk hoops, I'm, it's a, I'll take that any day of the week. So, so you'll stop coaching hoops to talk hoops? Uh, at all times, <laughs> I will. Uh, because I'm always teaching or coaching because that's what I'm, I'm a coach, right? So it's always to be able to talk hoops, man. It, especially because, I mean, I, I now that we're in here and now that I was reading the emails and stuff, like it's starting to piece together. But I got, I really didn't piece together like like London, France, like basketball. I, did, I didn't piece that together. So so now that I know I'm talking hoops with like some different continents, like I'm, I'm really ready to chop it up now. <laughs> yeah, that's we were in. Yeah, we can take a deep dive into into the EuroLeague, European <laughs> basketball, if you want. I'm gonna learn something. You know, I got questions. I might interview you. I got questions. We can see maybe maybe East LA can start recruiting people from from Europe. That oh, might be the man. next. Well, a a uh, not to get off tangent already, but when I I get 20 emails and calls a day from kids from out of the country that that saw the show that want to come to LA and play basketball. Like, oh yeah. Oh man, so many videos and calls and links to YouTube's and huddles and what whatever and it, the uh, all over the place from France. I've had some from France. I've had a lot from England. I actually went and talked to the head coach at Cal Baptist University the other day and asked him um, if he had a connect in England that I could that we could cross reference because you know kids will just make stuff up. It won't even be them on the tape. You know they'll send you a tape. <laughs> They'll show up. They show us a tape of six four with, with is their name, but when they get there, they're five eight. So you got to cross reference that stuff, yo. Sam's done that a few times. So <laughs> he got he got a he got a scholarship at Kentucky that way. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't you can't take their word for it. Not even in the state. You know that the, the kid will be like, I'm six six, and then they show up. They're six two. So you got to really you got to have somebody on the ground there to keep eyes on people. Yeah. I guess that's an in- interesting jumping off point then. How has the, the, the show raised the profile of the school and how's that kind of changed? Obviously this year might be a little bit strange, but like going forward, if you've suddenly noticed more people want to go there or more attention in general for yeah, the program. The, um, uh, it's, it's the show itself for the basketball program, for the school, um, for East LA Community College, you can definitely... That's a, there's going to be a, a before and an after, like what was East LA before the show? What was East LA after? And then from a basketball program stance, it's, it's the same thing from a notoriety standpoint, from a success standpoint, East LA was really good before the show and East LA is going to be really good after the show. Uh, but from notoriety and people looking at you or noticing you, it's completely life-changing uh, for, for everybody involved, the school, um, the coaches, uh, to be recognized um, all over the globe. Um, I, myself, I'm recognized in every gym I go in now because uh, that's where I spend my life. I spend my life in gyms. 
And so uh, every gym I go in now, it's like, hey, it's hey, it's Coach Rob. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, you, you're the greatest. And and I'm I like, I like, I'm the most popular laundry clothes folder in the history of college basketball. That's, that's pretty <laughs> much what I, what I tell them because hey, every, every episode, like I'm cleaning a locker room or I'm folding clothes, you know, or, or I'm, I'm the most famous yeah. basketball tutor in the world right now. Cause I was, I was helping kids with that, but it's definitely changing for the school itself. Um, it's not a stretch to say that at the moment, like East LA might be the most known junior college in america or even in the country in in the world like at this moment that junior college so it's definitely a before and after and uh we knew it would be different but it's been a little overwhelming that tell the truth it's 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 a little overwhelming to be to be that popular I, hey guys, I, I kid you not. Right now, Joe Hampton is calling me. Like right now. Okay. That's, that's what oh, you really? <laughs> that's that's what crazy. You, that, that is, isn't it? That is that is crazy. Joe Hampton just is calling me, <laughs> like right now for uh, uh, for something. Yeah, you you never finish being their coach. That is for sure. Never. Yeah, and and that was actually going to be one of my questions. Is yep. is it, how much contact are you keeping in with these kids after they they leave your program? And not just. A, the kids on the show, but just in general, you know, all the kids that are going through this program, are you still in a, a good amount of contact with them or? Um, uh, especially because of the weirdness that was how it shut down and the uncertainty that was going around in their lives at that time. Like they, they, they needed to talk to you every day, every week for like six straight months. Like they was talking to me, coach Mosley or, um, or Ken, uh, cause of the uncertainty. And, um, so uh, once they got to their places, uh, those, those kids, then those coaches there, like, you know, Sean's at Sacramento State, Leak is at um, Central Michigan, got other guys at other schools. Uh, those coaches, those coaches took over that for us, all the, the little things, just signing up for the right stuff, um, making sure your aid's in order, all that stuff that we used to do. Now another program does that. So now it's more of us checking in on, on them. And so throughout the season, I would, I would text the guys once a week because I'd watch their games. And um, it's, it's cool because now you can just more be their fan, you know, rather than their coach. I'm their Now I'm just their biggest fan in the world. And because what I say doesn't really matter. Like I could be like, Hey, Hey, Deshaun, you need to do this, this, and this. But if his coach ain't saying that, then he's just going to get benched. So I just stay away from that. I'm just his biggest fan. Like, Hey, Great, a great assist to turnover ratio. You know, I say stuff like that. <laughs> I'm not telling him to shoot more because I might get him benched. So it's uh, <laughs> so we do and, and and the kids are in contact a lot with Coach Mo and 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 uh, Ken is kid as well. I I would say all the guys you saw on that show, especially the ones that went on, um, they're in contact with us weekly throughout for the last 12 months. I That's would great. say. I would say weekly. Yeah. And especially since the show came out, I mean, we talk to them like all the time because of various, we do interviews together or they might have questions or I might just, you know, call them up to say, I don't care how many followers you got, you know, pop it, pop his bubble. Like, I don't care how many followers you got, go run a hill today, you know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, we are, we're, we're in contact with the, uh, with the kids, but that's, that's the norm though because even if it wasn't under these circumstances we would still be in contact with the kids especially this time of the year because a lot of them come back in the in the summertime mm. in the springtime 
and um, East LA is home base. And so that's where they get their workouts in. That's where their runs are. That's where they're safe to come and play. You know, nobody's going to hurt you in that gym. Kids just play hard because, you, you know, you go in the wrong gym and the wrong day, kid just undercuts you because he don't like you. And that's not going to. So they you usually want to go back to where you played. And so this time of the year, especially we we see and hear from a lot of kids over the last five years that from East L.A. as they come and check in with home base. That's a kind of one of the in a way instance I want to touch on as a at that level of coaching. How do you feel like the balance between being almost a mentor and a kind of guide to them versus actually being a coach who's working on their their fundamentals and improving their game like where is that balance for the average player coming through the program the um it's uh geez bad i mean there's 24 hours in a day and basketball is like two of them and so the mentor aspect and the things that you do with kids it's more off the court than than on it's um Cause they have so many things they got to do in a day from an academic standpoint, from a personal standpoint, and you got, you have to lift weights. There's, there's, there's a lot of things I do during the course of a regular school day for a student athlete, uh, basketball coach Mosley with a whistle running them into the ground. That's only two hours. That's, 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 that's it. So the balance is kind of, it's, it weighs less towards basketball and the more the mentorship, and they're helping them with those with those other things, because if those other things are really good or they're positive or they're going in the right direction, then those two hours, those kids can focus on basketball. Mm. But like if if Joe Hampton's having a problem off the court and we don't get that fixed by three o'clock, he brings that on the court at three o'clock. So, I mean, your day is full. The, 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 your day is full just to get 15 guys mentally prepared and ready to go at three o'clock. And uh, like, hey, the basketball, it's, I mean, really, that's the easy part. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the easy part. As hard as it is to coach young men and as hard as it is to, to get the best out of them, uh, that's really the easy part of the, the day. It's the other 22 hours that drive us crazy. Did you, um, yeah. speak, speaking of that kind of being out like two hours basketball, obviously the rest being something else, how do you think the show represented them as people? And do you think they, changed in front of the cameras that's something i was interested in did you feel this was like a very genuine did the players change yeah did you feel like when the cameras are on they acted up? yes yes hey no question for the first two or three weeks no question like the first two or three weeks everything was awkward it was like it was like an eighth grade dance you know like like everything was just (laughs) awkward uh like the cameras would come on and they would look around like what do i say kind of what do i do um even in a practice situation, like uh, they would, they played maybe a little bit different because it's, I mean, they filmed all our practices. And so that's getting your practices filmed is that's, that's interesting because you might film the practice from a coaching standpoint, because you want to, you want to stat it from a rebound standpoint, turnover standpoint, something like that. But they didn't film it like that. Like, you know, they're, they're filming everything and they're on these carts and they're going around and they're doing the stuff in a practice and the first two or three weeks, um, there was there was some issues with with the way they acted or even in the way they played. But uh, what you'll hear is, you know, if you ask any of us, like you really do get used to it. And by the end of December, they weren't even there. Like like they they, they weren't even there. Uh, and the kids got comfortable, and they kind of figured out like nine, 18, 19, 20 year old kids. They're um, 
they're different in the sense that their filter is way different. They don't have to be professional. And that comes out like the way they talk to each other and the way they talk to other people, they're not, they're not in that mode. Like, you know, this could affect the rest of my life. So they could be in the, they could be in the, the president of the school could come in and they'd be like, Hey man, shut the F up. They don't, they don't even care. You know, it's, that's just how they, that's just how they are. As you get older, you're like, well, Hey, time and place, you know, I might say shut the F up every once in a while, but it's a time when the chancellor and the president come in or if the mayor of LA comes in the office, you don't act like that. Right. So it's, um, it's, uh, but it was a change and even for, it was tough for the coaches as well because you're, we're recorded all day. And, and what I learned after even like two weeks is like, no one is supposed to be recorded all day. Like that's, that's not <laughs> natural. That's yeah. like, there's, there's an episode where I get out the car and they, they show me get out the car and what I do that happened every day, except they would put a mic on me when I got out the car. So I get out the car, there's a mic on somebody like, I can't even see, like they have these different areas around campus, like little hubs where they have their, their equipment. Like right when I, they do that, boom, record. Now they're recording what I say. And uh, that's the whole day. And so at the beginning, you're like, my gosh, like they're recording everything I say. And then, then you kind of forget. And then you become close kind of with the sound people and the directors and the, uh, the site director and the storyboard people. And, and so then it's like three or four times a day, I would just be like, you know, all right, hey guys, don't record this because okay. I was going to, I was going to ask that if you had the <laughs> yeah, ability that's, to that's go off I the record, say. I'd be like, Hey, Hey, don't record this or, or this isn't going to be a part of it. Cause now I have to have a conversation with the player or hell my wife, I got to have a conversation <laughs> right quick. Yeah. And this really, this, this isn't for LCU, you know, this is for something, this is for something different. And they're really good at, they're not going to do you, they're not going to do you dirty. Those, those people mm. are on your side. They are definitely on your side and and they're not gonna they're not gonna make you look bad unless you're just an ass like the dude was down like in kansas for that, that yeah dude. i was i was gonna touch on if you were a little bit hesitant because obviously was, there was a lot of backlash to how he treated students and well, you couldn't sugarcoat what that dude was doing you know and uh, <laughs> and i like and i like i like jason like i it's like I, i'm not i'm not anti him at all but there's just no way that a, a director or an editor could have edited out that assness there's just there's just no way you know that's just what it that's what it was our head coach was apprehensive about watching that because he was worried about maybe how he would be portrayed because he doesn't he doesn't cuss at all right he's not like mm -hmm. that but he coaches harder than that guy does he just does it in a different way and uh but he, he does it in a way though where that's it was more positive and so i i thought it would come off I thought it would come off good. Don't get me wrong. There's some days where like me and coach Ken are looking at each other, like, Hey, coach Mo was crazy. Like, like, like he, cause he would literally do some crazy stuff and like, maybe he might've went a little bit too far today, you know, even, even that, but we, we knew it would look good. Cause basketball is a different look than, than football. Cause it's so personal. Now I felt like everyone came across from the players to the coaching staff. I thought everyone came across pretty well. Was everyone, from the inside, are you all happy with how you were portrayed and how the edit worked? Or are there a couple people who feel maybe that either they didn't, from a player's perspective, maybe they didn't get as much sort of FaceTime as they would have wanted? Oh yeah, that was, um, see, that was, I, I would guess that would be the, probably the only negative is that some players thought they would be more a part of it, you know? And, and, and that a 
like the, the show really went in the direction of two or three guys, like three guys mainly. And then it was kind of sprinkled in um, uh, right there because as you're shooting it, like you don't know, because of course, like, like they're, they're going to Joe's apartment or they're following uh, uh, KJ to the locker room or, or, or seeing us in that academic environment, but they did that with all the guys. So, so there's guys, there's guys that are like, well, shoot, where's my story? Like, you know, what, what happened with my story? But I guess you can only get in like, like so much, you know, um, in, in there. But as to your point, was it authentic and how it came off or, or how did we feel about the authenticity of it and, and how we felt that we looked? I, uh, I felt great about it. I was, I, I didn't, I didn't think I'd be much actually a part of it. And in, but from that same token, like, so did coach Mo, like we, we would literally sit there at the, at the end of weeks or the end of games and say like, well, this show's going to suck. Like this, there's nothing like, there's nothing here. We said that all the time, even, even to the end. Right. And I'm sure we're going to talk about the end at, at, at some point. Um, even in the end, like I, I apologized to one of the producers and not like I was sorry, but life's like, Hey man, like, geez, I'm sorry, man. You guys, that, that ending, it just sucked. Right. And one of the top guys in that show looked at me and goes, oh, my gosh, that's the greatest ending we've ever had for a show. He goes, this sucked for you. <laughs> but from yeah. our standpoint, from our standpoint, that's the most incredible ending relative to what was going on in the world. Like they, they, they was like, well, we struck a gold mine. And for the next 11 months, I was like, what the hell are they talking about? Because I don't I didn't see it. You know, all I saw was all I saw was sadness and uncertainty that day. And um the way they put it all together though it was it was it was it was a it was really good for the it was really good for the show but throughout the season we had no idea like me coach mo and ken like we didn't see the story because to us it was the 2019 2020 basketball season to everybody else it was like the last chance you but for us it was just the basketball season that was no different than the season before which is no different than the season like like right now it's just you know Every year you got J. If you're any good, man, you got a bunch of JC kids who got lots of problems. Because if because uh, <laughs> if you're good, if you got D1 players in your program, something went wrong. Yeah. So, so it's it's every year it's like that. And you mentioned earlier the fact that they're obviously they're recording everything from the practices and the games, and they're maybe doing it in a different way than you would for film. But was any of that ever useful from a coaching standpoint? Were they giving you footage that you could use, like sort of you wouldn't have had otherwise, or is it just oh, because yeah. it's for TV? It's not. Well, it's actually, not one day I did ask him because I was, <laughs> I was like, hey, can, can I get some tape of that? Because of what happened, and and they were like, no, we can't put that together for you right now, and that wasn't gonna go. But I did want to see what happened one day because you guys didn't see a lot. I mean, there was. I mean, fools were going to blows weekly. Like, and I, I wanted to kind of see how that, how that kind of transpired, you know, what, how that went up to it. And I'd end up asking and we, they really didn't share and give us that access. But by that same token, they were looking at it way different than we were. They would film, I mean, they would film for four days and then work all weekend on the, on the four days of film, you know, whereas a basketball coach, we film, we press stop 30 minutes later, we're breaking down the last two hours. And they, that's not how they, they do their, that's not how, really how they do their show, but because there was some game film even where I was like, I, I remember I was like, well, I need to let me see that angle of that for that Cerritos game at the end because I only got this one angle and 
It really didn't. We didn't have that kind of agreement. But now that you say that, I, not, I need maybe we need to do that for season two. Like they need to help a brother out so I can get some some better angles on those those block those boxing out with that help side D. Yeah, and I would have thought even from a player perspective when they're putting together their like the the reels that they're putting, you know, it's like sending oh, yeah. to other schools potentially. If you have this <laughs> super well produced stuff versus just like produced by Netflix, footage. you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You got whole credits that run at the end. Yeah. <laughs> That would that would have been it'd have been nice to use their stuff for the film breakdown. I'm telling you that that would have been nice because if you know anything about watching film breakdown and the way we film, I mean it's it's usually that dude up top and they look like ants on the court and you have to circle stuff and I'm like no Malik that's you you can't even tell because I it's just a bunch of dark dots out there running around and you're trying to get it right and so uh, yeah it would have been really nice to be able to use their stuff you know uh, especially even with their music it would have been inspiring because I mean. It, I was watching that. I'm like, wow, I'm inspired by that play right there. <laughs> and I was there. <laughs> going back to uh, one of the things you just said about, you know, going through some of the footage to see, you know, if there was like a fight or a, or a scuffle or something like that. That's something that always interests me about junior college, especially basketball, I think, is you have five guys on the court who all, are all going through junior college to make that transition. And how much... <sighs> How hard is it to put together that team to want to win a championship when you also have guys that kind of just want to highlight themselves as a stepping stone? You know, like how much rivalry is there between in between the players? You know, like I want to start versus I should be starting. That's got to be so difficult to coach. JC is a very unique situation, um, especially from a basketball standpoint, more than any of the other sports, because the moment the season starts, you have two parallel pathways going on simultaneously. You have the team and what they're trying to do, and you have the player and what he's trying to do. And from a coaching standpoint, both of those are equally important to us. So we want to win, but it's just as important that we get this kid out of JC and get him a scholarship so he can get an education, so he can change where he comes from. And so you have this parallel, think of a, it's like a parallel road, two roads going in the exact same direction of success. And it is incredibly difficult to cross over, to get the kid what he needs and be successful as a team. Like if you only needed to do one of those, that would be a little bit easier. Like all we're going to do is win, screw the player, his stats, how much he plays, forget it. We're going to put together a team and go, or like, Screw the winning. Let's showcase our players. They got talent. We all get a, everybody gets a scholarship. Doing both is incredibly hard. And that's why there's such a gap between really good JCs and not good JCs. Um, there, there really is a gap. There really is a have and have nots of community colleges. And because that's really hard to do because the better players you get, besides the problems, the harder it is to get them to buy into winning basketball games because you're going to a JC to not go to a JC. Like their, their goal is the first day they go in there is to go, is to go somewhere else. Whereas like if we're the coach at Loyola Marymount or Cal state Long Beach or one of these LAD ones, the goal they come in is to win college basketball games and go to the NCAA tournament, you know? So it's, it, it's incredibly difficult to do, but coach Mosley, has built a foundation there to where the kids understand if you come to our program, like if you make it through the two years, it's a given you're getting your scholarship. Like you're going to get a deal because you're good enough. One, we're not going to really bring you in if you're not good enough to get a scholarship. 
Like we're not going to tell a kid who's, who's, who's not, who's not going to play on after the two years, like you should come to East LA community college. Now we're, 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 we're going to, we're going to attract and coach Ken is going to recruit guys who are scholarship basketball players where something went off the rails. So they're, they're already really good basketball players. And that's a hundred percent, the entire team, like from oh, yeah, bottom yeah, yeah. of the bench to number one starter. To, to the number one guy. Like we we're recruiting guys like, like, uh, at, well, at, just think out of that group. I mean, we had 10 sophomores, only one of them, only one of them hasn't got a deal yet. And he was offered a deal, but he's decided to, to go on a musical career. I mean, that, I don't even know what that, he's one of my favorite players too. If you see him on the show, Taj, the other day I asked him, I called him up and I'm like, dude, what's up with that school? They offered you a full ride. Like they, this school offered him a full ride at NAIA school. And he, and his response back to me was he sent me an audio file of his newest track. That, that, that was his response back. It wasn't like why he didn't take the scholarship or nothing. It was just, it was like, D-d-d. I look down and I see audio file and I hit it and it's his newest release. And I'm like, well, okay, that's where he's at mentally, right? But, but uh, like nine out of 10 guys got a deal. And one of the guys who didn't even play for us at all, he just tweeted out the other day, he signed with San Diego Christian college on a um, partial athletic, partial academic um, scholarship to where he's playing. So, and you don't really come to East LA unless you're trying to go to a four year and we're not going to let you in the gym if that's not going to happen, not to be mean or anything like that. That's just what the level is. Like if you, if you come in and you're five, eight and you can't run and jump and dribble, well, that's not going to happen. Like, like anyway. Oh, that, oh, that's me out then. Yeah, sorry, Sam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're a really good high school player and you're not quite there, like maybe now a player might want to come to East LA because of notoriety. But before, if you wanted to play college ball, you wouldn't go there anyway because you're not going to play. You have absolutely no chance. So you got to be competitive and good to sign up with with Coach Mo at at, at East LA for sure. Go ahead. Just to finish, how realistic are the expectations of the players themselves? Like how, how well does everyone come thinking I'm going to make it to the NBA or are most of them sort of aware of if I can just get a scholarship to a four-year school, that's, that's where I am. I would, I would say three out of 10 are realistic. Three out of 10 kids, like three out of 10 kids are like, man, Hey, I, I just want to get help with college. Like, I just want to play at the next level. Like, let me work and let me do this. And then like, I, I always break everything down, like as a coach or, um, and people you work with, I always try and break down thing down in the thirds, right? Like as a coach, when I was a head coach, I used to always say a third are going to like me, a third are not going to like me. And a third are probably going to be in the middle. And that's usually most things that you deal with. So I would say a third, same thing, a third, no, like they have realistic expectations, a third or a little muddy. And then a third are delusional, like completely delusional as to where they're going to go. Like they'll walk in and, and like, Hey, how come Duke ain't calling? And then, and I, and they're like, and they're an NAIA guard and you're like, how come I'm not going division one or, uh, or they'll be like, where's UCLA, you know, and you, you see, when's the last time UCLA even had a junior college player? Like, you know, that's, that's not even going to happen. So, but a third are really delusional. And as to your point about the pros, by the time they get to us, like in high school, every one of them think they're going to play in the NBA. Like I, I would guarantee like every kid that we have in our program thought they were going to play the NBA when they were in high school. By the time they get to college, I would say half of them believe they have a chance to play professionally. 
I would, I would believe half. But out of that half, though, out of ELAC, and if you go back and look, maybe not in the NBA, but, I mean, almost all our Division One guys have played overseas at, like at, at some point or played something professionally. So you really do have a chance. There's a lot of opportunities. They're not glamorous. You might make 40000 in a B League somewhere, you know, and then have to work for a company in the offseason. But it's still a – it's still maybe you have an opportunity to play – professional but i would say in our program definitely a third a third a third like and, and a third kind of know their lane and they're just happy to get it a third are going to be a little both and then a third are just like it, it's it's like talking to a wall they, they're speaking another language to me when we're when we're putting together their 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 plan to get out of east la so, so the other question i had too i think it's really difficult about the junior colleges you only have two years, right? So you're getting these kids who might have academic issues or attitude adjustments they need to get. How difficult is that to get them in and within two years to have them graduated and out and kind of have them back on the right track to getting to that D1? I mean, wow, it's um, on the surface, you know, and a kid shows up in August, you would think like, okay, I got the next 19, 20 months to, to get it. But it is a sprint. And it happens so fast. And throughout the show, you hear Mosley say it all the time. Like, it's about to be over. Like, it, it's going to be over. Like, you can't wait to do something. You have to do it now. This is this is going, it's going to be over. We constantly feel, like as coaches, like we're, you feel like you're drowning because you don't know if you're doing enough the entire time because of that sprint. Like, you know, when your players melt down. And, and all you saw a lot of, like, like Joe Hampton's meltdowns during the season. But um, we had 15 guys on the team and KJ and Taj were the only two guys who didn't quit at some point. The other 13 guys did that, that did that Joe thing. Jersey's off. I'm out of here. Or, or they went in the, they went in the locker room, they threw their stuff down on the ground. And then we didn't see them for two or three days. Like, like every kid had those type of issues. And then when that happens, you think to yourself, cause you know, we're, we're experiencing this. You're like, man, this kid ain't going to make it. Like what I got to do more to get this guy right mentally. Like uh, we know we can play, but we got to get him right. We got to get him right mentally. And so it's, it's a marathon in a sense that you got 20 months to get it, but you feel like it's a sprint and you're drowning while you're doing it. Cause you're so worried that everything's not going to be right. Like, are they going to, I mean, if you fail one class, if you fail one class, like you're behind and now we're catching up. And, and the kids are going to fail a class. Like they're going to get a D in a class. Uh, a D will get you an AA degree, which is what you need, but it's not going to go to the next college. So when those things happen, you constantly have that, that feeling like you're, you're falling behind and you can feel like you're drowning. That's why Coach Mosley's so stressed out all the time. He is stressed out all the time because he feels like he's drowning. Like, am I doing enough on the court, off the court? Is his staff, me and Coach Ken, are we doing enough for the kids on the court, off the court? Um, so it's, it's incredibly difficult to, to stay ahead of, to stay ahead of that. And cause you only got, you only got two years, but it, we do a really, they all get out, they get their AAs and then they go on. And our, and our hope is that whatever happened during those 20 months, like they just take that with them and don't make the same mistakes twice. You know, it's, it's the same thing that we have every day in a practice and, and our goal every day in practice is everybody like don't make the same mistake twice because in basketball, you can turn on a game right now. Mistakes are being made at the highest level. 
So as a coach, you're just like, well, just don't do that again, you know. But somehow, some way, them kids figure out a way to make the same mistake a different way, like two possessions later. I don't even know how that. I don't even know how it works. But it uh, just don't make the same mistake twice. And that's the same thing we're trying to do is when we push them on to the next level. Whatever mistakes you made getting to us, whatever mistake you made with us, let's not make that mistake again. That's interesting. And I guess you've touched on a number of points of them having to kind of mature and learn about themselves. How much do you see when you look back on where you were at that stage? and the kind of basketball journey that you went on, how much are you able to see the mistakes you might've made or the kind of delusions you might've had? Do you see yourself in a lot of those players? I see myself in every single one of them as you, you see it. And that's why I have such a heart for them is because it is so hard to play college basketball at any level. If, if, if you meet a guy and he played four years of college basketball, I don't care what the school was called, whatever. I have total and complete respect for that, for that kid or for that man. Like, Oh, I played this college back in, you know, back in the nineties. And it might be a school I never even heard of immediately. My, my, my hat is tipped and I have a different level of respect because it is so hard to play college basketball. And I remember how hard it was. Like when you're going through it, you, it it's hard, but in retrospect, when you look back, especially teaching these kids, like they have no idea how difficult like this is because they're just they're just playing basketball. And that's why I have such a big heart for them is because I realize what they're like, what they're what they're going through and how difficult like it can be. And I draw on that every single day as I deal with the as I deal with the players, because I myself was you talk about delusional. Yeah, I was delusional, like to the very, very end, like 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 when like the last game I played in the USBL, like like. Like I played it like maybe let's say I, my last game was on a Thursday. On that Wednesday, I'm like, where's my 10-day contract? Like, where's my call? You know? <laughs> and, then, and then the next day, I'm never playing basketball ever again, you know? So the, we can be really delusional as, as basketball players. And, and I try to keep them realistic. And, and that's one of the things I do is I try and be so truthful with them, like day one about realistic expectations. And then also like letting them know like, hey, you're doing well. Like, even if you didn't play well today, you're doing well. Like, even if, even if you're struggling in that class, like you're doing well, like you have no idea, like you're pushing towards something greater, like just keep plugging away, keep plugging away because I, I realize how, how tough it is. It's, you gotta be tough, strong, physically and mentally to play college basketball. And uh, my hat goes to everybody who's done it. And especially these kids who are going through it. Yeah. And I guess that's the balancing act too, right? Because if, if you crush the dream, then that might be the end for them anyway. Like the moment when you don't have the the hope and the optimism that you're going on to something bigger, then the kind of the struggle that you're going through in the moment becomes pointless. Yeah. So I guess you got to kind of, in a sense, you got to still feed it a little bit so that they believe there might be something more that they can still like strive towards. And, and we're fortunate that the guys that we have are talented enough that there is something better as long as they do X, Y, and Z. As long as they do that. Yeah. You know, even the guys on the back end, we were honest with, and the, like, the, like the kid who I was just talking about who just got a deal at a small NAIA school down in San Diego, like he knew throughout the season, like, dude, this is going to be hard to get you out. Like it, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult and we need you to keep plugging through. And there was weeks where he didn't want to, because he's like, what for? Like, I'm not even like, why am I running this 10 in a minute? Why am I diving on the floor? Why am I doing all this? And I'm not even going to play when I, when I go on and those can be difficult conversations, you know, but Hey, 
that's basketball. And every level you go up in basketball, your talent starts to run out every single level and coming to that reality and the grips with that reality that your talent has run out. Hey, that's hard, but it happens to every single one of us who's ever picked up a ball. Every one of us who's picked, even the guys who make it to the NBA at some point during their career, their talent runs out at some point it happens, you know, unless you're Steph Curry, this fool is like 30 something. <laughs> the dude ain't missed in like a month. Like what the heck is yeah. going on with like, what the heck's going on with that? Like I'm watching in amazement, like every night. And the other night I was upstairs. Just, I don't even mean to get off track on you guys, but I yelled at my wife downstairs. I'm like, Hey man, this dude's 30 something. He just hit nine threes. He just hit his nine three. Like, like it's hard to do that in a rec league at 32, you know, you know much less with a dude six, seven, 220 with a 40 inch vertical chasing you around but that's that's a whole other story but we all run out of talent and so helping the kids realize that you know and and, and be good with what happens when the ball stops bouncing you know did, did you feel good about it and that's why yeah. like just keep pounding at them like if you gave everything you have right now i'm telling you like don't quit don't give up keep grinding you'll feel good about the end because if you don't you feel horrible about the end you'll have regrets and that's that's the worst thing any athlete can have is like, I should have, could have, I wish I'd have done this different because I have that. I, uh, I worked my ass off for four years, but I'm telling you, I can remember right now a bullshit effort. I gave it more park college in 92. I want that game back. I remember that game. I want it back right now. I'll do anything to get that game back. And I try to tell them just how important every minute of every game is that, that you get to play in. I guess you've touched on there a little bit, the more details about your own career. And that was kind of one of the mysteries a little bit about the show, I have to say. It's like one of the reasons why you're one of the more intriguing characters is they, they kind of touch on your background, but never go into it in too much detail. Sort of what exactly happened throughout then your own community college and then college basketball? And then what, what did you do afterwards? And then how did you, why did you make the decision to jump, jump back into coaching? So, but get back into coaching. My, yeah, my, my basketball career is in, it, it, to say it's interesting was boy yeah it was it was interesting I um I was I was really good when I was young and I mean really good when I was when I was young and when ages 14 15 16 17 I was good as anybody anybody over here in the states during during that time all the guys who in the class of 91 um every one of them I I was on a level with them except I just stopped growing when I was like 14 years old I was I was like 6'2 180 when I was 14 and then somehow when I was 21, I was 6'1". Like I shrunk somehow. I don't, I'm not sure how that happened. Oh, 50 I, years I, early. Yeah, I, was, I, I had shrunk. But um, uh, I had an interesting one because my, um, my, at the end of my high school career, I got hurt both my junior and senior years. And um, I didn't play in very many games. And, and then uh, I was still talented enough and good enough, although I didn't play in very many games, to uh, – to get offered a scholarship and I was going to go to go to San Jose state play for coach Morrison up at San Jose state. And so when I went up there to kind of finalize that deal, I figured out I didn't want to be at San Jose state. And I thought because I was a qualifier, if I go to junior college for one year, then I'll be able to write my ticket because I didn't play for two years pretty much in high school. And I thought I had a lot. Like I, I like I'm watching the guys I know, like go to Kansas, go to Michigan, go to Arizona, like the, like guys that I'm as good as and that I was that I was played better than that we're signing with. And I was like, all right, I just got to get healthy and give me one year. And lo and behold, my first day of practice, my freshman year, my community college is when I blew my knee out. 
And so um, I was chasing that all through all through college. And and that's why I have such a man when kids get kids get hurt like like a week or two ago. I don't watch a lot of NBA. I don't. Um, but for some reason, I was watching that. That Denver, that Denver game where Jamal Murray went down and I was sick to my stomach watching that because I knew from experience that once that happens, like two years of your basketball life is done. And I, I mean that because you spend a whole, you spend a year rehabbing. You're not getting better. You're getting back too. And then it takes another year to feel comfortable with that. And so with my own self from age 18, cause I ended up having a couple more procedures on that knee throughout my college career. So from 18 to 21, like I, all my time was spent rehabbing. It was never spent working on my game. Like all I did was work hard to get back on the court to get hurt again. And then it kept happening. I was just fortunate and blessed enough that I was a good enough athlete um, that I could still keep playing and people still wanted to give me books, tuition and fees in order to do it. I was, I was so blessed in, in that. And so I was always hurt. And, uh, but a lot of that had to come from, and it's kind of, I don't know if it's touched on in the show, but it is in my biography. Um, I was a really good track athlete. I was one of the best high jumpers in the country um, in, in high school. And I was recruited very heavily to run track by the top track programs in, in the country. I was, I was a seven foot high jumper. And I, I, I was, wow. I was anchoring championship relay teams. Um, uh, so I, I could, I could run, I could run and jump. I was a really good athlete. Uh, but I, I decided to go away from that because I love basketball so much, but all that jumping over those years in high school, uh, it caught up with me with my left knee. Cause that was the leg I, I jumped off of. And that's my whole left side of my body just ended up breaking down on me, you know, 91 to like, to like 95. So my basketball career, I never really, I never really reached my potential, but it wasn't because I wasn't trying. I mean, I, I tried. And so uh, I was at Al Hancock Community College where I, I, I feel like I played like on one leg for a couple of years, but I did good enough to get a division one scholarship to Stephen F. Austin State in Texas. And I went down there and that was fun. Like it was, it was, it was cool. Um, at Stephen F. Austin State, I think I learned the most valuable lesson that I've ever learned in my entire life. And, and I coached, I coach and I see everything from that perspective that happened to me at Stephen F. And what happened was, is I was, I went down there to play and I was the California kid on a Texas team and um, everybody there was from Texas. And so I played, I played, but I didn't play a lot. And the guys that were playing, I could easily do what they were doing. I mean, it was, it, they were not better than me in any sense, but and when the season was over, I went into the head coach's office and I, and I said that I'm like, dude, like I didn't play, like I'm leaving, I'm transferred. And so they're trying to get me to stay. And I told him, I'm like, I'm as good as the guys that's playing. And then he taught me the most valuable lesson I've ever had in my entire life. He said, you're right. You are as good. You're not better. And when you're as good as somebody, you leave it up to interpretation. And at the time I just went like this, stuck my finger up at him and got in the car and drove back to California. Right. I, like, I didn't get the message at that time um because and i understand now like if i played in, instead of the kid who was from tyler texas he can never go back and recruit in tyler texas again so he what he was telling me is you damn sure better be better than the kid from tyler texas if you're gonna play and i didn't get that message at that time but as i coached 
And as I figured it out later, like that's the whole foundation of every conversation I have with kids. It's, it's the same, it's the same as I coach as, for myself. Like I'll never say I'm as good as somebody else. Cause if you're as good, then it leads it up to interpretation. And so when a kid comes in my office and goes, Hey, I'm as good as the kids is playing on my like, conversations over. Cause now it's up to me whether or not you play. Are you better? Cause if you're better now we're going to have an argument, right? Like if you're better then how come you're not, you're not playing. So that's what happened kind of at Stephen F. Austin, but I, uh, I left Stephen F. Austin with the UC Riverside um, at the time, which is a, the story is actually, it's, it's pretty comical. I was living in a dorm in Texas and it was a spring morning. And for some reason I'm up at eight o'clock in the morning, which is, I don't know how that happened, but I'm up at eight o'clock in the morning. And if you're ever in a dorm at, at back in the nineties, then you had four channels. If you're in a dorm in the nineties, there's only four channels in the dorm. So I turn on my TV at eight o'clock in the morning and it's the division two national championship game. And UC Riverside is playing in the division two national championship game. And at the time my dad lived in Long Beach. So I was like, Riverside, I break out a map. <laughs> I'm like, where's Riverside? And I was like, oh, Hey, I can do that. That's close to my dad's house in Long Beach. And so, uh, like, uh, like two days after the championship game, I called up the coach at UC Riverside and he remembered me from community college and was like, Oh, for sure. Come play for us. And so that's how I ended up at UC Riverside. Cause I only had like that channel and they were on TV that day. Cause I didn't know where I was going. I had no idea. I just knew I was leaving Texas because the coach, who was, who was obviously knew what he was doing, I thought was an ass. Like, what, what did I know? Because I was young and, and I was delusional like the players I coach now, right? So it's, uh, I ended up in Riverside, which is a really good experience. I played really well at Riverside. Um, my leg kind of held up that year. Um, I had a couple issues, but it was one of my better years uh, health-wise. And so it came out and I was able to do some really cool athletic things on the court like I used to do. Even so much that when the season was over, True story. When the season was over, I go into the counseling office and the counselor tells me, hey, none of your none of your classes from Texas count here at a UC. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm about to graduate. She goes, no, you're not even close to graduating. Like that whole year in Texas was nothing. Like it, it was one of the most depressing days of my life. Like I spent two summer schools and two semesters in Texas and they took one history class out of all that. So I was they waited. They waited a year to tell you this. Yeah. Oh, but the coach didn't tell me he might've been a little shady at UC Riverside telling me I was going to graduate in a year because he wanted me to be there. He wanted the division one transfer, you know, it, that wasn't cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm depressed. Like I need a whole other year to graduate and I only have one year eligibility. So I go tell the coach, like I tell the coach, like, this is what they say. And he's like, okay, we'll pay for summer school. I don't know about next year. I, I'm bringing in like somebody else. That was a depressing day. And, um, that week, that week, I'm walking in the hallway and somebody yells out to me, Bobby Robinson. So I turn around because hardly anybody calls me Bobby anymore. I changed my name when I moved back out and left Texas just to just because there was some carnage back there. So I'm like, no, I'm going to Rob. I'm not Bobby anymore. I'm going I'm going to Rob. So somebody said like Bobby Robinson. And I look around and it's the track coach at UC Riverside. And he says, what are you doing here? And so we start having a conversation. Now he knows me like every track coach in California knew who I was in college. Cause everyone recruited me. I was, like I said, I could jump seven foot. I could long jump 24 feet. I could, I, I was, I was fast. I was, I was very, I was very recruitable. Cal, USC, Michigan, Nebraska, everybody offered me scholarships and track when I was in high school. Um, so he says, Hey, you want to come out and run track? 
And I was like, no chance. Like, I, I, don't, I don't mess with sports no more. And he said, give me your transcripts. So he looks at my transcripts and he tells me, he goes, you have two quarters of eligibility left after this basketball season, two quarters. He tells me, if you qualify for the national NCAAs, we'll pay for your last year to, to, to run track for that one more quarter. But I got to qualify in the now at that moment. And so I called home to my dad and my dad was like, and I was like, dad, like they said, if I qualify for the NCAA now, granted, I ain't jumped in five years, four years. I haven't jumped in four years of track. And they were like, if I qualify for the NCAA finals, now we're talking about college finals. If I qualify, they'll pay for my last year. And my dad was like, well, when they say jump, jump, tell them, ask how high They're pretty much that's what he, that's what he's saying. So I go out and I told you I was having a good year with my leg and it was the best year I'd had on my surgically repaired leg in like four or five years. And this really happened, man. I started getting a little momentum and my leg started feeling better. And I ended up having this incredible day at Cal State Bakersfield on this hot day in May. And I jumped like seven, one, like that day. And I got back. And coach was and coach called, you might qualify for the finals. I'm like, holy shit, I, I, I can't believe I might qualify for these finals. And I'm thinking, okay, I might graduate. That's all I'm thinking. Like I might graduate from college. And um, and how they did the finals, I don't know how they do it now, but back then they would take um, they took the top 12 jumpers in the country. And I was like 11, 12, like right there. Like I was right there. And so it came down to the last day of the NCAA season to where I snuck in at 11. And I got, I got invited to the NCAA finals in 1996, where I jumped, ended up taking ninth. If you take one through nine, you're an all American. And so they ended up paying for my school. And so that's how I graduated from wow. college that I, uh, I ran from track, but track ended up getting me a degree and it wasn't basketball. So it kind of all, it kind of all circled, um, circled around, uh, towards the end of, um, that track season though, um, my uncle knew a guy and my uncle was big in basketball and he knew a guy who owned a team in the United States basketball league, the Tampa Bay Windjammers at the time. And they were moving to Columbus, Ohio. And um, he got me set up to go back there and, uh, and work for the organization and get a chance to play in the USBL. And I did really well there too. Um, uh, ended up coaching the team because they fired the coach halfway through. They were going to disband the team. If you know anything about like back then, back in the nineties, like the minor leagues of basketball. I mean, it was, there was no money involved. It was, it was, it was the wildest things you could ever imagine. If, uh, if I could tell the stories of that one, I'd never have a job again, but two, you guys would laugh for hours. The things that happened during my four months there were just mind boggling. Uh, but they, uh, so were you a player coach? Yeah, I was. No, I was like, wow. I was, I was playing like one day they fired that the coach. Fun. And then I was coaching and now I'm coaching with guys like I, I'm coaching with guys. I was just drunk with the night before. Like, like <laughs> it, was, it was literally like one of, it was really one of those things. And the, uh, the, uh, the, the guy was going to fold the team and he was like, Hey, we're firing the coach. And he goes, we're going to fold the team. And he just jokingly, the owner just jokingly is like, oh, unless you're going to coach it. And I was like, yeah. That Challenge accepted. I like, let's go. Like, I'll coach the team. And then he goes like, Hey, you can have as many players as you can fit in that van. I'm not flying you guys anywhere anymore. So me as the coach, I was a head coach in the USBL at 25 years old 
with a van full of pros driving all up and down the East Coast uh, playing in basketball games. Raleigh, D.C., New Hampshire, Atlantic City, uh, Camden. Uh, hey, Asbury Park. That was a heck of a story. Uh, Asbury Park. It was an incredible <laughs> experience. That's incredible experience uh, doing uh, doing that. And um, and that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to I'm a coach. You know, and I think I'm going to coach because you figure out in professional basketball real quick if you're good enough to play. And the bottom line is there's I wasn't good enough to play. I, I, I wasn't. I mean, you got to, you have to be so good according to your size. And I was a damn good basketball player, six, one, six, two. But I needed to be six, seven with the game I had to get paid to play. And so it just it just wasn't going to compute. And so um, uh, I, I end up coaching the rest of that season. During that season, I'd be, just been married like the year before. And um, wife calls me up and says she's pregnant. And so, um, of course, I do the math. All right, it's mine. So I'm going to go back. I'm going back to California and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this kid. And uh, but that's when I had to grow up and I need to get a job with healthcare. And the USBL is like 1600 a month and they might pay for a hotel. There's no healthcare. So it's um, I ended up taking a high school job that paid and I had healthcare. And I got to coach. They gave me the job because I could coach. It's not like there's, hey, we want you to come teach at our school like I'm some great academic because I'm not. You can look at my transcripts now. I was two point eligible like my whole year. Every day, every year I was in college. Like, whatever. Like, what do you need, coach? Okay, that's what I'm going to get. I, I didn't care too much about academics. So I got my first high school job and, um, and I'm stubborn. When I took the job, I was like, I want to win a championship. And it took me like 20 years to win one. So that's why I was in high school, like forever. And so, it, but it was a good experience. I had a job at healthcare. My kids got to go to school. My, I coached my kids in high school. I got to watch my sons play football. Great experience of coaching, of, of coaching high school. And then, like I said, on the show, like I literally get fired. Um, and I get fired and I'm, I'm the California state high school coach of the year, like the reigning high school coach of the year. And they asked for my keys that that really did happen. And so um, I was at a crossroads and um, this, it, like, if I, if I go on to be like a really good college coach one day, which is, which is the goal, which is what I'm planning. Like this really happened to me. I, I applied to, I called, I emailed and I applied to 150 colleges the summer of 2019 as, as one of the top high school coaches in, in the West on one of the top teams. And like three people called me back, three. And nobody wanted to give me a job, like nobody. And so I was kind of depressed. It, 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 was, it was a depressing time. Like I just, I just, I was just let go of my job and nobody wanted me to coach at that high school level, at the college level. And I didn't want to go back to high school. Like I'd done enough. Like I'd won Southern section championships. I'd been coach of the year. I didn't win the state championship. I was about six points short, but um, I wanted to coach college basketball. And um, I called the coach at Cal state LA and asked him for a job. He said, no, the assistant coach overheard the conversation. He called me back the next day and said, Hey, I need you to call John Mosley over at East LA community college. Cause he knew John. And um, I called up John and man, the rest was, hey, the rest was history, man. It was, it was an incredible matchup. It was a perfect storm of, of personalities of me and him going in the same direction. And um, I'm 
so fortunate and blessed to just get in that situation because there was other JCs I thought about kind of going to and it, I wouldn't have had the same experience, much less the Netflix experience, but just the same experience and and that. So my 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 basketball career was was one of unfulfilled promise, but I feel like through coaching, I, I might be able to hit that ceiling I never got to do when I was when I was playing. The dream is college or would you if someone offered you uh, you know, a job in the pros somewhere Would that, is it a natural progression for you or is it, just you like know, what? College? If, if it happened today, I, I, the truth, there's no way I'm ready for, for professional basketball. And because of my mindset, like I got, I've been fortunate enough the last couple of weeks, I've been on zoom meetings with Steph Curry's trainer. Like this is Steph Curry's guy. And this guy trains over 50 pros. All right. Um, he has his company. It costs a boatload. Like these dudes pay him a boatload of money to do this. And so he's helping me because he's kind of associated with Under Armour and Under Armour and Nike right now are trying to figure out who's going to be a part of season two. So, so everybody's being nice to us right now. So I've been in conversations with Steph Curry's trainer. And um, the more you talk to him, then the more like 20 minutes into my conversation with Steph Curry's trainer, I pressed mute on the Zoom. And my wife was in the other room and I said, hey, babe. I know nothing about basketball. I just wanted you to know that right now. I know nothing <laughs> about basketball at all. Like I, I'm a Neanderthal basketball coach. And then I went back on the Zoom and it just soaked all of it, soaked all of it back in. But the mentality of pros, like when he's telling me, like the Golden State Warriors got 13 active guys and then all of them practice a different amount of time according to their heart rate or according to what their workout was earlier in the morning and and how if, if Steph doesn't want to practice, he ain't practicing. If Draymond Green comes in and says he don't feel like playing that day, then he ain't going to play that day. And I'm not saying nothing's wrong with that, but that's not where I'm at mentally. So I would struggle with that. I'd probably have to start like and just watch for a year and kind of figure out the temperament and just how to coach those guys because I'm used to three o'clock, damn it, we're practicing. Jump stops, get taped up, let's go. You just have that, you know, men mentality. So my goal is, is definitely just... I would like to have a full-time job with health benefits and coach college basketball. That's hey, that's it. And if it's at the division one level, so be it. If it's a division two level, so be it. If it's a good JC job, like, so be it. I just, I just want to use my gifts of, of, of teaching jump stops and chess passes with kids who need it. Um, even at the JC level where we don't give scholarships, but I would just, I would love to be in a position to where I can offer a kid a scholarship that's going to change his and his family's life for generations. That's what I would want to be in a position to, to do. So that's, that's kind of the goal is to, is to get to that four-year level where I can, I can change the trajectory of a kid's last name. You've mentioned Steph Curry a couple of times, and he's obviously sort of an inspiration for every sort of normal size basketball player out there <laughs> yeah, to hit yeah. the elite level and not be an elite size. Have you in your kind of call kind of coaching throughout the course of his career, have you felt that he's influenced the way people, I mean, you're kind of starting to see it in the NBA, right? But is it almost a negative from a coaching perspective that you've got guys pulling up from 45 feet out to oh my God. shoot threes, like with 20 first seconds all, left? First of all, I'm pissed. We didn't have Steph in 91 right? Because we, maybe we could have modeled our, I got to model my game a little bit different. I hit a boatload of threes. I mean, I had 144 threes one year in college. Like I could really shoot the ball. Steph Curry, might, I might've went in a different, you know, direction. You know, I'm out here trying to play like the wrong guys. Um, so, uh, but Steph, uh, 
you hear the joke, right? Like Steph is broke basketball. Yeah, he's broken basketball because he has. <laughs> because because he has. Steph has changed the game. He's changed the game in a way. Um, well, he changed it in a bunch of players with him. He's just kind of like at the forefront of it. But he's changed the game to where you're watching a top program in the country like Alabama say, hey, man, we're, we're only shooting threes and layups. Like, don't. They've changed the way that they coach according to the way this dude is making threes or the way the game has changed to make to make threes. But in our practices, that's never going to happen. We are pisses us off is when we open up the gym and kids come in and play because you want kids to play the right way all the time. Like if you want to have fun playing basketball and play it your way, well, then go to Venice, go to your high school gym, like go go act a fool somewhere else. But when you come into a college gym, you should play like you're going to play in college. Like, let's get better. And so when you have an open gym and a kid comes across half court and he pulls up from the logo, you know, and he's yelling like I'm Dame, I just feel like throwing a basketball at him and hitting him like literally like, bam, like, no, you're not like that's, that's not a high percentage shot. Like, let's take high percentage. Like I can make that. And they'll say that like kids believe they can make that shot. And you know what? They can like one out of 10 times, but you're going to lose. So it's really frustrating in that sense. But in our practice, oh, that's never going to happen. If you pulled up from, 35 feet in our practice you you'd be able to do it once yeah the second time like the whole team would be the coach wouldn't even put us on the line he'd take us to the track you know he'd probably make the coaches run if somebody did that so i'm going to make sure that doesn't happen that's for sure everyone trying to shoot from the logo or do the james harden step back oh or the james harden travel it's that's (laughs) it's not a step back it's a it's a travel and you know what's frustrating is every time our kids do it it's a travel and every time James does it, it's a bucket. And so it's very frustrating. Like that's, it's very, because I don't teach that. I, I'll teach a step back, but not the James Harden step back, you know? So it's, uh, it's very, it's very difficult. These guys in the NBA can't make your life kind of hard, but you know, the positive about, about that today is, is that players don't watch games anymore. They only watch highlights. So they don't watch too much, you know, of it, which is a new phenomenon. It's, it's crazy how my guys don't watch any basketball. Like when I, when we were in college, we watched every game all night, whatever was on TV, whatever was on, we're watching the entire game. My players right now, like you watch the game. No, they were playing video games. And then at 10 o'clock watch 20 minutes of highlights of basketball games. And that's basketball for them now. So it's a, it can be a challenge because I'm telling them like, well, who do you play? Like, like, let's watch this game or I'll bring in my point guard. Uh, I used to do that with LJ who played on our team. I love you. I loved LJ great lefty. And I'd bring LJ in and I like, what level you want to play at? And he was like, you know, I think I could play in the mountain West. So, you know, I go on ESPN three and I put on Fresno state versus Nevada. And I'm like, oh, let's lock at the point guard. And he's watching it. It's like, he's watching it for the first time. Like, how do you know where you want to go? Unless you're really watching that, that level and not a highlight, but watching that level. And so that's a problem with kids today. You know, even high school kids, they're not watching games. They're watching highlights or playing video games. And it's screwing up all our fundamentals. That's super interesting. It's not one of those things I'd even thought about. I'm not in that generation. I guess I'm just too old where like the internet highlights. (laughs) I like them. I like digesting it for games I'm not going to watch, but I'm still there watching all the kind of games. And I I can't imagine how, how much you're missing out on developing your like basketball IQ by just not watching other people do something at an elite level or the level you want to get to. They don't do it. They want to play division one, but won't watch a division one basketball game. That's, that's it. But they'll tell you like, Hey, the, the, you see the, the dunk from the kid from Houston. 
you know? And I'm like, well, Houston led the country in offensive rebound. Anybody watch any of that? I'm like, can we, can we get some of that? And it's a, it's a different struggle with the kids. And I'm not complaining because, I mean, our coaches said the same thing about me in 91 because I didn't play like the guy from 81 or 71. You know, it's, it's just things change, man, you know, but old people just want to make basketball great again, you know, just, just like that idiot president we had. So it's, it, you can't go backwards. You got to go forward, man. You got to go forward. So, so we brought up Steph Curry a few times to get off topic a little bit and I guess just talk some basketball. Do you think he has a shot to win MVP this year? Cause now it's starting, he's starting to come up in the, in the uh, talk yeah. a little bit. You know, the thing about the MVP stuff is, is, um, uh, and I do follow, I, I, I read it a lot and it's always interesting to me. Um, we're such victims of the now or the last week or two. And so what I try to do, cause somebody asked me this question like a couple of weeks ago and I was like, well, hold up. I'm trying to think, what was he doing in January? Like, I can't remember, you know, like was, was, I know it wasn't 17 a game, but what was going on in January? Were we having this conversation about somebody else or, because I mean, the, realistically from a basketball standpoint, it's the same argument like he had with MJ in the nineties. To me personally, LeBron James is the MVP of basketball. That's just what it is. Like Michael was the MVP every year, just every once in a while they gave it to somebody else. Like he is the MVP like every year, but you know, like, Hey, Hey, give Chuck the MVP this year, you know, like is, but to me, Le LeBron's always the MVP if he plays the eight, the 82 games, but people can kind of sneak in for other, for other purposes to, to kind of grab that, grab that from him. So with LeBron not playing this year, now I'm more open to like, all right, let's kind of, kind of see that, but we are victims of the now, but Steph's kind of historic, but I mean, I mean, geez, like if, if Westbrook could win some more games, my gosh, like, look what that guy does, like with the ball, like in the last, in the last couple weeks. And there's some players and Dame can always be in the, in the conversation as as well. When you're a basketball coach, you kind of see it differently. You see, you see everything so much differently than like as a fan. And I try my best guys to watch basketball as a fan. I try to enjoy it. I, I, I desperately try to enjoy basketball, but at some point I stop enjoying it and I'm just breaking it down. And it's, it's a curse. It's, it's literally, it's literally a curse. And so I can't enjoy it as much, but I see it from, I just see it from a different perspective. And, and sometimes an MVP to me, like James Harden was never an MVP to me. Never. That's not saying he's not the greatest scorer I've ever seen or a joy to watch but I never thought of him as the most valuable basketball player in the, in the league, because to me, you can't be an MVP of anything unless every single person around you is better because you're there to me, like, and, and you gotta be great. Right. But everybody around you, like the guy selling popcorn has to be better because of you at the, at the stadium. That's the MVP to me. Cause that's how I coach. You know, I, if I, every day, my job is just to make everybody around me better that's that's it and that's how you're an MVP is you got to make people better and I don't know how much better the players were on Harden's team when he's winning MVPs not to not to downplay his game because I, I love watching him play I'm not saying that but like who's the guy who is averaging 28 and makes everybody better like who's that guy instead of the guy getting 35 who there's people on his team that don't even exist out there because of him like they're you don't even know they're out there or they're not better basketball players 
besides well, what's his name? Who who's the Clint Capella? Was that his name? Like that dude who the just center there yeah. and got and got 15 million a year because he would just catch his dunks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he made a bucket since <laughs> since wherever he went to. So from that he made his bank account better. Oh heck yeah, he sure did. He did that on those lobs, man, for sure. And Mike D'Antonio, that's him. Yeah, and and that right anywhere D'Antonio goes, if you can catch a lob, you can get a paycheck. So when you're then watching these games from a coach's perspective, is there one player in the NBA or even just at a college level from the from the past season that you look at that you'd really love to coach? Oh man, I if there's there's so many guys. I'm gonna tell you watching and, and the first time I saw the kid, the point guard from Gonzaga play, I, I was sold. When I saw Jalen Suggs play, I would tell him if it was me, and then maybe I don't know, that's not even a question. That's that's who I would take. That guy right there is is a better version right now, like not, maybe not in the league, but like at the same point, he is a much better version than Westbrook at, at this moment, like right, like right now that when Westbrook was, when he came in and kind of was feeling himself and, and getting that, I absolutely love Jalen Suggs because of what he does defensively. I mean, he, uh, he, I, I loved watching him play like this entire season. Um, from a coaching standpoint, I like watching Houston play the Houston Cougars. And because of what I just touched on, because no one crashes the glass like they do. And I'm fascinated by that. Like, how do you get five dudes to go get a rebound and not get beat on defense? Like going back, like, how does, how does that, how does that transpire? So I loved watching Jalen and, uh, and the Houston, uh, and the Houston Cougars this year, anytime they were on to me, it was, it was must see. Like I would tape those games. I would, I would tape them. And I, so I could watch the Zags just to see, uh, just to watch Jalen play because I, I love the way, the way he, uh, he was a great on-ball defender, but he was probably the best safety I've ever seen in college basketball. Like he was guarding all five guys at the same time somehow. Like he would come off and get steals. Like he would, he was just always seeing everything. Like, like he was a, like he was Sean Taylor back there. Like he was a safety. It was, it was incredible, you know, to watch, to watch that guy play. But I watch a lot of college basketball and for the same reason. And I don't even, I don't even enjoy, I try to enjoy it. I do. But then you're watching Gonzaga and you're like, Oh my gosh, look at that wrinkle out of that high post offense. We kind of run that. Maybe I get my post fan there and then they're rewinding it. And now I don't even care about the score no more. I'm trying to figure out how do you initiate the offense from the right side and get it on the left block. Like it's, it's a, it's crazy way to, to look at the game, but it's uh, that's why I enjoy football so much guys. I absolutely love football because I just, watch it and have fun watching it I just, I just love it that's coach mosley looking it was hampton and now is it was, was mosley looking looking uh looking for i feel him. so honored you're rejecting these calls for us Heck yeah. hey well trying to get a hold of mosley in a day that dude's that dude's man everybody's hey, he he might be on the phone with with the jump and kendrick perkins right now like you don't even know like i called him the other day and he's like hold on man i'm talking to matt barnes and and kendrick perkins on a on a on a call I was like, all right, coach, talk to you in a minute. <laughs> no, uh, he, he hasn't made it on the Big Chill podcast yet, though. <laughs> and, that so was, he's... and that was it. Yeah. So, so I, th I think before we let you go, I, I mean, yeah. I'm just fascinated by you being in the USBL, driving yeah. a van full of guys oh, in the late God. 90s through, through oh. Atlantic City and Camden. Oh, Can you at least oh. give us one good story oh, about it? Oh, my, oh my gosh. <laughs> hey, it, it would be me 
And eight or nine guys, according to what the the the, the owner had that week. Because if he had an extra nine hundred bucks, I could get a ninth dude and, and bring him in and, and go play. But when you went to play that, you would play um, you would play Camden, and then you would play Atlantic City. And I can't remember why we had to play in Asbury Park. We had to play Atlantic City in Asbury Park instead of Atlantic City that time. But, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm from the Jersey Shore originally, so oh, I know what Asbury Park okay. was like in the 90s. So I can oh, only imagine oh my playing God. there must have been. Oh, like. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> like if you slipped and fell, you could get hepatitis from a needle. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that could happen at Asbury at, at that time. Um, Hey, we were in a, we were in a, I can, <laughs> Hey man, I got some incredible stories about the, we, I was in a, all right, which one? I'm, I'm going to go with this one. All right. Howard Jefferson. There was a Howard Jefferson hotel, right? And I can't, it, this wasn't in Asbury, but we're going to Asbury. We stayed at a really cool hotel in Asbury though. Like it was an older one that's historic. And I still had the key. I kept the key. Uh, and I don't know why, but I kept the key from that. But we're in Jersey and we stay at a Howard Johnson. And I, I come down one night. And uh, so there's no policing men, right? There's no, there's no policing. These dudes are grown men. Like they would talk to me. They would literally talk to me while they're rolling up a blunt back in the 90s. Like, yeah, coach. Yeah, we got to work on them passes tomorrow. Like they're blowing smoke in my face. Like it, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it was a whole different, it was a whole different thing. But, but we're in, um, we're at a Howard Johnson. And it's like two in the morning and I go down to get something out of a food machine. Right. And I'm not checking on the players cause I'm not, cause it's futile. Like they could be, they could be in New York city right now. I have no idea what's going on. Right. So we're, we're down there. And one of my players is talking to this girl in the lobby, a woman, he's talking to a woman in the lobby and the woman looks shady. Like she's, I mean, she looks shady. She looks like, like, like she committed a crime. She looks just shady, not homeless, but like shady. Right. And, um, and my boy is talking to her and, and I don't want to know what happens. Right. But that night, I don't even ask, but the next day, next day. And I just asked him like, what's up with the girl in the, lo in the lobby? Like what, what's up with the girl in the lobby? And he tells me, he said about halfway through their conversation, I had left. He said, the police roll up. Like she sprints like out the back and come to find out, I don't know her name, but she's like on like America's most wanted, like, like the TV show, like America's most, they were looking for her. Like she was robbing Walmarts or something. It was, it was this crazy story. And so my boy's telling me, he goes, yeah, man, she's like one of America's most wanted on that show, man. It was, they was looking for her. Oh, and I'm wow. like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's Jersey, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought you meant for a moment, like it was live. Like the live chase was going well, on. No, wasn't a live chase, but, he, but he said the police came in and told him, like, no, we're looking for her. She's one of those people off of that. And he's he's telling me that he's telling me that story. And I'm like, oh man. He was like 10 minutes probably from taking her to the room. And but she's out the back door and it's uh and because she's running, she's running from the police. But if you can imagine you might have been down a point guard the next day. Oh, and he was. <laughs> Oh my God. He was, he was good. <laughs> he was good too. He was, he was at, he was an incredible point guard. He was actually, uh, uh, Mr. Basketball in Indiana once like, Hey, I played with, it was the most incredible group of characters you've ever been around in your entire life. And like I said, the only reason I haven't wrote the book is because I, I want to work still. That's, 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 that's the only reason if I could do it, if I could do it, there's no way any, but college would ever hire me. 
there's no chance. And, and uh, there's no way anybody be like, yeah, you you can coach my kids. I wouldn't have had a high school job. Oh my gosh. No, but it was, uh, you're around a bunch of dudes like 23 to 27 who just are very talented and just don't give a damn. It's, and they're in your van and you're driving them to DC and Atlantic city and long Island. Oh my gosh. The story of uh, the long Island and the ferry and how, how I, we left three guys. It was, it was, a cra it was crazy. It was, uh, it was, it was a crazy time, but I learned a lot about basketball and I met a lot of cool people, Daryl Dawkins, uh, Rick Barry, who was a complete asshole. Um, uh, Earl Curitan, uh, who, these are the guys I was coaching against. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy that I was 25 and I didn't know anybody and I'm shaking hands with Daryl Dawkins before the game. Like, we're, like and was wait was their experience the same? Like, is Daryl Dawkins driving a bunch of guys around? Oh gosh, no. These other owners, man, they had like real stuff. Like my stuff was was I mean, we were in a van, and and they would get in the van, and I would drive us from Columbus to wherever the game was, wherever it was, and it was it was just me and 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 eight or nine, eight or nine guys, man, and they was. And they, like I said, they didn't even care. I was so worried we were gonna go. There was so much weed and drugs and 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 in the car. And they they would hop out. We were getting, we were going through the tunnel one time. Is it the tunnel that goes? There's a tunnel between New York and Jersey, right? Is, yeah. There's a, there's yep. a tunnel. Okay. Lincoln Tunnel. Okay, so we're going from New York to Jersey, and there's a traffic jam. And one of the players, he goes, "Hey, man, I gotta get some blow. I'm out of here." Like, I'm, and so he jumps out the car. And we're just hoping he gets back by the time we go through the tunnel. But luckily the traffic jam was long enough and he gets back in the car like 20 minutes later. And he's like, I'm straight. And I'm like, like, really? He goes, he goes, Oh yeah, you can get it anywhere over here. Like, I don't even know what corner he went. Wait, how do you do that in the nineties with no but cell phones and nothing? Like, <laughs> but in, 20 in a tunnel, minutes, <laughs> but in 20 minutes in a traffic jam, before we get through the tunnel, one of my dudes jump out and got some cocaine somewhere and then got back in the, got back in the van. Like it was nothing. He's like, all right, Rob, let's ride. And I was like, Oh, it was a, uh, it was an interesting time, man. And, and 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 to contrast that, like three months later or four months later, yeah, like I'm coaching 15 year old kids in high school. So it was a. Uh, it Are was you fun. telling them these stories for motivation? Oh gosh, no. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> oh no. I'm telling them. I'm I'm trying to keep them out of detention. You know, it's it's a, uh, it was a heck of a it was a heck of a switch there, but. I learned a lot about basketball. Met some really cool, incredible experience. I sure hoped I get to tell those stories one day, man. I, I sure do. I mean, I really enjoyed Last Chance You, but it sounds like Netflix was filming the wrong part of your career. Oh, hey, if they, <laughs> they, 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 if they'd have had that, it would have been a, uh, oh man, that would have been a, that'd have been a heck of a story. That would have been a heck of a, heck of a story. Well, I know you've, we're approaching that time where you've got to go. So we don't want to hold you for too long. Oh man. Hey, I <laughs> think every, every, Every interview I've done, fellas, has gone completely off the rails, but it's been basketball. And um, and then usually, you know, they're always they ask the questions like, hey, sorry to keep you a hey, not at all. I could talk hoops all day, but really, I do like I do have some more work to do. And I'm going in a gym tonight to go. I'm trying to get a six, nine kid who ain't got grades. So uh, I got to be over at that gym around four thirty today because it never stops to get the uh, to get the right. to get the next kid. But my. Um, my experience with Netflix, fellas, incredible. And, and the reason why I think we're so proud of it, me, Coach Mo and Ken, is, um, is that I think it's the first time the world, the country, and even our own communities 
saw a light on community college basketball and what it can do for a certain demographic of kids, you know, and that's why it was so important to us. And that's why we feel so good about it because we're not the only JC in America. You know, there's, there's 200 something JCs out there doing what we do and what we do works. Like those kids that we were, that those kids that we were working with, like if it wasn't for basketball, we would have serious problems in our society with those kids. Like that, those are, those are the ones that you're reading about and you hear about and the stories about. And through hoops, through hoops, we were able to make a huge difference like in this kid's life. And so what we do works. And so I was hope, I would hope that the show shows everyone like, hey, support us in what we do. Like not just me, but that junior college in Kansas or that junior college in Iowa or Texas or New York or, or wherever, like support that community college because if you support us, we support them. And then we can really make a difference in this group's life. I mean, we're just hoops, this is our job, right? Everybody in society has got to do their different thing to help pull these kids through that, that have these issues. Ours is hoops, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. And you guys kind of reiterate, like the show was a positive in that sense. And that's, that's what we're grateful for with the show is that show a light, what we do works, coaching works. And if you support us, we can really help these kids out. And like I said, change the trajectory of their last name. Cause that's, that's all we're trying to do is, is make their lives better. No, absolutely. I think that comes across in the show. And I also think like be it the football series or the basketball series, it also just raises awareness about the life within community college, the kind of importance that they play within the communities themselves. And also kind of, I guess, removing some of the stigma maybe associated with people who, you know, like either from a player's perspective, who doesn't want to see it as like dropping down to that level. Yeah. Um, and then from an outsider's perspective, a more of an appreciation of the level of skill of the players that are going there, that it's not just some kid who was like on his JV team. Oh, who, gosh, no. you, you know what I mean? Which I think from some outsiders, they might think from time to time. Oh, I, I can't believe how many people like all, oh, like even that coach junior college and other parts of the country, like, Oh, I didn't know you guys were that good in California. Like, Oh yeah. Like we would show up and whoop your ass. And there's no question. Like we, we got good play. We got division one basketball players on our team. Like we can play. So it's, it's not a stigma. I mean, I was there. I was at a junior college, you know, and, and I had grades and I was a division one athlete. I mean, stuff happens in our lives, you know, and, and when, and when you're there and you're going through it, you need help. And um, that's what JC could be there for. We can, we can help these kids, man. So anytime I can talk about JC hoops or just basketball in general, Hey guys, I'm, I'm in. And, and you know, they tentatively, cause these things can be real fluid. Um, they're going to start in, in August and they'll start filming again for, for season two. Um, oh, that's think, awesome. Cause, yeah. Cause I was going to ask because your, your season got canceled last year, right? Yes, the full season. Okay. So, so you're uh, back on track now though. We're, but we should have a full season next season. Um, uh, we should be able to do showcases for our kids this spring and summer to where they can get a look uh, during the NCAA viewing period. Uh, LCU is planning on being there like the first day of school in August. To, to, to get it through, see if we can run it back and win a state, win a state championship. Uh, all that can, like I said, you just never know. Like with, the, with things like this, like they'll sign a contract on a Tuesday and film on a Wednesday. Like they'll tell you what's going to happen, but until the contract is signed, you just, you just never know. But there's been some production meetings and phone calls and different things that's been happening in that direction to where a season two can, can happen. And, and when that's the case, hey, I, 
hey, you were invited. Catch up with me in January, guys, and I'll let you know what's what what's where it's at. You awesome. know, and you can get you get the scoop, get the scoop first of of where where it's at. Although from what I hear, I mean, this is even crazy. From what I hear, there's a good chance that our games might be televised next year. You know, it's wow. It, there's For real. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's things in the works where like people are going to want to uh, watch us, and we there's 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 various there's various outlets that have, have talked to our coaches and uh, talked to the, to the, to the AD and like, how do we get, how do we get this on TV? Like, you know, and because it makes sense, man, us against Santa Monica or what watch cornhole on ESPNU. Like what the hell? Like, <laughs> no one's, like, what the, like what the hell is that? Like put us on instead of that. Right. Like people would watch that. I don't know. There's and, some pretty good athletes in cornhole. I don't <laughs> and, and how's the, how's the team look this year? Um, needless to say, uh, uh, we're, we're not going to be hurting for talent. Uh, a lot of people want to play for us, uh, but we're an LA team. I mean, we are. And so the struggle for us is to get LA kids. Um, there's kids from all over the country that want to play for us, but we don't really have the housing to do that. Um, we don't have, we don't have dorms. It's very difficult for a family to come out here and get an apartment and then leave and leave the kid in the apartment. There's a lot to it. Right. So our goal is just to get the best. There's enough talent in LA to win the national championship in college basketball, much less junior college, as you almost saw UCLA did like UCLA, the whole team is Los Angeles, except the point guard. All those kids are, are, you can throw a rock from LA and, and those kids are from that area. Right. So uh, there's enough talent in LA to do it. We just have to do a good job of, of making sure the first week of school that they're at East LA community college. Great. Well, I guess I'm excited. We'll wish you, wish you luck for the, the upcoming see well next season. And, uh, we look forward to having you back on for the, for all the scoops. We'll hold you to oh, that. the scoop and, and the, yeah. Oh yeah. For, oh, for sure, man. You can, yeah, you can have it. Hey, the, hey, the more light you shine on us, the better we're going to be guys. Great. Absolutely. Well, Thank you for taking Thank the time so to speak to us. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks. Oh man, it was Appreciate it was fun. It. it was my first time <laughs> talking to somebody from England. Like, who's your favorite soccer? Team? <laughs> like, quick, like, who's your favorite team? I'm an Arsenal fan. Arsenal. My my brother, for some reason, coaches. He loves soccer. He coaches high school soccer in Kansas City. He, he, he's a huge uh, sporting KC fan. Season tickets. Loves the Premier League. He loves Arsenal as well. It's like. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out a way to get back and, and, and go drink some beer and watch a game one day. We're, we're trying. We, we don't know how, but we're trying. If he wants to have a chat with an Arsenal fan, send him my way. We can have a chat on here. Oh, yeah, man. I love uh, – uh, uh, he loves it. He got me into it. I'm more of, you know, USA versus anybody soccer fan, but it's a uh, – uh, anytime I talk to somebody in England, I'm like, geez, I got to get there. Because they're as passionate about – no, they're more passionate about that than any – us basketball fans. The only thing that's comparable is like an Alabama football fan, you know, or somebody like that. That's the only thing that's just comparable in the States. And man, I respect that kind of love for passion for a sport to where, you know, you'll burn some shit down. If you don't win, I'm in, I'm like, I'm in. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like. oh, that's awesome. All right. Th thanks again. I really appreciate it. All right, man. No problem guys. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks. Have a nice day. Going?